0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Greenhouse Sass. Uh, Today, we are here with our guest, Juan Silva. We're also here with Sandro and Caron, co hosts Yay. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) And um, Juan is a former Latin American fisheries fellow at uh, the University of California, Santa Barbara, and has spent the last decade working to better manage coastal marine resources. He's very interested in the scalable development of community-based fisheries, and how we can more equitably manage our oceans. He was recently selected as a fellow for the Coastal Solutions Fellowship program from the Laboratory of Ornithology at Cornell University, and is uh, you're most likely going to study in Chile for That's, the foreseeable future?
1: Yeah, yeah. This, this fellowship is actually focused on um, all the coastal areas of Latin America. It's focused on migratory shorebirds, and therefore I'm going to be working in a coastal wetland Located in the southern central coast of Chile. South central Chile. Yes,
2: sir. Yeah. Um, Which which coast
1: is better, California or Chile? I think it depends on. I mean, yeah, I feel like they have like so many similarities in terms of like weather and like geography and like all the ecosystem services that they both offer because they share the same latitudes, actually, like from the 30 to the 40 kind of uh, Hmm. grade. So It's like an inverted version of uh, California, (laughs) Chile, you know? So it's really interesting. Um, It's really interesting. I was actually working in a really cool organization called Chile-California Council that tried to like leverage all these like similarities and um, foster collaboration, you know, in this kind of aspect. So
3: that was a very diplomatic answer. I thought Sandra was about to start like an international
2: incident here. I was trying to. He's not be like,
1: no, SoCal yeah. for life. Yeah. yeah. No, it touched upon a really a subject that interests me a lot. And I've been like, yeah, kind of looking at since I got here. And it was one of the reasons why I chose California, too, you know, focusing on coastal ecosystems and uh, landscapes and environments and culture. Just like really interesting the way California has developed uh, its coastal spaces, you know. So, I mean,
0: so you're, um, you were a sociologist originally, right? Mm-hmm. So you kind of study how, what is this? Can you talk a little bit about what the study of sociology is?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, um, that's also a very complex question that we used to joke around with like all my sociologist fellows when we were studying, because it's like, what does it mean to be a sociologist It means like so many different things. I have friends, ex-colleagues working at, you know, health, uh, the health system or like criminology or like urban um solutions you know or in my case like environmental uh, issues so i feel it's like it's a discipline that touches upon every like social phenomena that you can think of that can be addressed in a systematic uh methodological approach you know so yeah sociology has its own methods but it draws upon like several other disciplines such as like history and like even like psychology Obviously, like statistics, you know, like, uh, in my case, from even from ecology, talking about like social ecological systems, which is like a kind of interdiscipline. But yeah, I don't know that response.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, so could you maybe talk a little bit about how California, the coastline might have, it has developed differently than Chile or has it?
1: Yeah, so there's like this um, commonplace knowledge uh, that says that California was similar to Chile like 60 years ago. In terms of like the like World
0: War Two, post World War Two,
1: yeah, kind of like just like kind of underdeveloped a little bit or non, not as developed as you see it now, you know, like so you can still buy real estate. Yeah, kind <laughs> of. I mean, it's 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 already like becoming really expensive and like it's very like out of control. I feel like what California did in the sixties with like the Coastal Act. It was like a milestone to like... What kind was of the co- Coastal
0: Act? Can you explain that for the listeners?
1: Yeah, the Coastal Act <laughs> Yeah, because you know like that uh, one, changed, right? <laughs> yeah. I just want
0: everyone to be on the same page.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't remember exactly the year now. I kind of forgot, but I, I feel it was in the 60s. And it was like um, a response to like a public manifestation after like the oil spills. Okay, so yeah, like, that'd be
2: 69. 69, I think, yeah. right?
1: So, yeah. So, yeah, I feel like it was like a... Um, There were like several events that led to uh, the public, like the general public and the citizens to like start demanding like a a better integrated coastal management and more uh, better solutions to like for uh, sustainable ocean management. I feel maybe I'm I'm, like, I'm getting confused with the oil spill led to the marine life protection. It also, yeah, led to like the Clean Water Act under Nixon. Yeah, so uh... there are like several instruments that came up in the 60s that helped, better managed like coastal areas and like a better integrated coastal zone management that you know addresses both the interactions between ocean and like marine areas and coastal areas which is something that in chile we we still are trying to develop and integrate into public policies you know so i feel that's that's uh yeah it's a good like parallel comparison to see how california has developed since since the 60s and how chile can learn some of those lessons and apply them to their own uh reality.
0: Like what mistakes should Chile not make in developing their coastline that maybe California did?
1: <clears throat> I think mo- most of not them have an Orange had-
0: County.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you just Chelsea have good surf? That, yeah. I
1: feel like whenever I go yeah to like Malibu and I see all these houses uh built like mm. so so close to the shoreline mm-hmm. and like all these like super hard you know, engineering solutions to sea level rise, I feel that that's been a mistake. And I've heard like several experts in California talking about how these like hard solutions, you know, just like setting up like boulders or, you know, putting more sand. Or, just to prevent sea level know, rise, like yeah, anything you can put in front of the ocean. Exactly. It's just like a hard engineering solutions are like super short faced short term you know band solutions. solutions yeah and they don't fix the problem and also like just building so next to the shore it really like alters all the ecosystem functions that occur in the coastline in the coastal mm-hmm. zone which is a concept that we we should like embrace even like more and more you know understanding the zone the coastal zone as an integrated and very complex ecosystem that um, integrates like land a lot of land like several kilometers Mm-hmm. and the ocean so like all the exchange of like nutrients and you know organisms and whatever uh i feel like in the 60s like we didn't really understand this <laughs> i think humanity
0: us. didn't know how big we were gonna get and like the- yeah so they were crabs doing- discovered in the 80s <laughs> uh, that was just the the I
1: think that was, yeah, like a big mistake, just like building so much, like kind of uncontrolled development. And I feel Chile is making that same mistake, but we're still in time to stop it, like stop building on like dunes and like wetlands, you know, like just like too close to the shore and like trying to promote more like green restoration, habitat restoration solutions rather than hard engineering you know, to like stop sea level rise or like these more frequent uh, extreme weather events. You know, mm-hmm. in Chile, it's like really an issue right now. Yeah.
3: So let's let's back up a little bit. So you said you were a sociologist. Uh, how mm-hmm. did you end up working in the like the ocean, like marine science, environmental space?
1: Yeah. Um, well, that goes back to when I was studying sociology. I felt like I was a little lost in what. Uh, area of like this very huge uh discipline i was interested in and in Chile I, I felt i feel like the environmental movement was kind of uh growing very much especially with like a very important event that i think was like very crucial that was a project called Sen. i don't know if you're familiar with it but it was like a massive what's it called I like Hydro Aysen. So Aysen is like the region like of Patagonia, where a part of Patagonia is. It's like a very charis- like, charismatic, you know, landscape for all Chileans and a very, like, pristine ecosystem. And there was this, like, um, project that was, like, um, massive, like, hydroelectric repress, how do you call it? Like, uh, yeah like a hydroelectric project and like a transmission line oh and,
0: for like getting energy from exactly like flowing yeah. rivers. i and felt
1: stuff. that touched like a very deep fiber in like the chilean like average citizen that cares about nature and like i i feel like that i was part of that too i was like really touched then i went to like this um manifestations whatever i feel like I mean, that wasn't like the, the event that marked all my environmental career, but it's just an example of like stuff that made me realize how interesting this was. And like all the, um, how like society started caring about this more and more, like that we are, we're actually entering a crisis, (laughs) if not already. And then, yeah, that's where, where it began. I mean, even in, you grew up
0: in Santiago, Chile, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, Yeah. actually
0: that's. was that's like a city if they kind of like la where like you really see firsthand the effects like humanity has on nature like you're it's it's like constantly covered in smog no
1: it is a pretty smoggy city yeah it's like kind of
0: valley, like one of those just cursed in the valley yeah (laughs)
1: absolutely it's it's trapped between mountains and there's like a lot of cars and like industries so it's a very polluted city i don't know if it is still like kind of in the top 10 but i feel it's like yeah like along with probably Shanghai or like you know mexico city or stuff like that but yeah yeah, it's pretty bad i actually like develop like asthma and i feel that's a very common
0: just from living in that environment
1: i feel yeah kind of i mean i I never did like the exact research but <laughs> you're just like, like
0: i gotta take care of this <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah exactly but i feel i mean i know for a fact that that's a very common like disease you know in chile like, just respiratory uh problems yeah. and yeah I mean, that San was Tiago. that
0: was la in the 60s like you know anyone growing up, you can google even into the 80s like people yeah, growing up in the animals, 90s yeah even now
1: i don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for, yeah right now yeah know, and there are other like super terrible <laughs> polluted cities in, in chile as well like Actually, Santiago is not the most. There's, like, one called Koyaike, right. which is the one I, I was telling you the other day, just in Patagonia. But they're they're using, like, this um, uh, wet... Um, Wood to burn yeah, the houses, yeah. Yeah, so it's, so it's really polluted. Like, in the south, there are several of them. Yeah, so it's pretty bad.
0: But that's I mean, it sounds to be super, like, wild to see, like, in, you know... So you're talking about other communities where they can, you know, use energy and kind of interact with nature in a way that doesn't seem to destroy it for everyone, like...
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's just like uh where is the incentive for people to like just stop using that type of combustible, you know? If if you do it by yourself, it's like a it's a problem of like, yeah, how do you incentivize like society as a whole and like in a way that individuals don't feel that they're like doing something that doesn't matter, you know, like yeah. I feel people now, I don't know, if you recycle. Do you actually feel you're contributing to solving the major environmental issues? It's like, you know, that's that's a very big discussion. Like, who are the guilty? And like, how do you get involved in a matter in a way that really matters in solving? Hey, man,
3: I'll have you know, I bike to work and I feel like
1: I'm single handedly.
0: Battling climate, change, <laughs> dude, you are the, the, such a hero. Crunk. No,
1: no, I think those like little actions matter, and like, yeah, like, you I mean, know, as long, especially as long as you're part of a community that like fosters that and like communicates it. I don't know, it's but it's a, it's a delicate topic. I feel like how how much individuals have responsibility over the climate crisis and the ecological crisis. You know, yeah, it's a, it's a little frustrating sometimes, but yeah, it's it's you're right.
3: It is a delicate balance. I think we've talked about it on on this podcast with different with mm-hmm. different folks. Like how much of it is like the companies, or the corporations, or the oil companies and things like that. How much of it is us because we're the ones buying the stuff that they're making. So, um, yeah, it's definitely like work on on both fronts that needs to be done, both at the mm-hmm. top and at the bottom with us. So what, what pulled you into marine science specifically? Like, so you were a sociologist who then got pulled to this environmental movement spurred on by, you know, protesting against some of these like big construction projects in like pristine land areas. Mm-hmm. Um, what pulled you into like the ocean?
1: Um, that was kind of cir- circumstantial. I mean, I've always loved the ocean. Chile is a coastal country by excellence. It has like more than 5,000, like, kilometers of straight coastline and more than 8, 80,000 kilometers considering the, the the islands and the fjords and everything. So we're basically a coastal country with not as a developed uh, coastal culture as I would like, but I guess that was kind of the challenges that uh, incentivized me to get in, in, in this discipline, you know, in this area, just to, like, bring more protection, like more innovation and better ideas to like uh, better and more sustainably manage our coastal ecosystem and resources being so rich and and incredible and beautiful. And still in time to like save many of the many of them, you know. There are so many like areas that are kind of destroyed already, like what we call sacrifice zones. I think here you call them like super funds, no? <laughs> super funds.
0: Sacri- I like sacrifice
3: better. Sacrifice zones <laughs> that, is a
1: better term. Yeah, that's <laughs> a concept. In, in Chile, we we say like yeah, sonas de sacrificio, and it's like there are many of them, and I feel. I mean, they're not—they're not like entirely lost, but m- many of them are like irreversible damages, and like people are really like sick, you know?
0: Yeah, like,
1: literally sick. Um, so yeah, many of like that. I think that was my call. Actually, one thing that called my attention very much in that time around, like 2014, was uh, seaweed aquaculture. I just ran into this incredible project being um, developed by some people at the way on the east coast in Maine, called. Um, Uh, green wave i don't know what what is going on with that right now but it just like caught my attention like this like integrated multi-trophic system and like promoting like local economies and livelihoods and restoring at the same time like damaged ecosystems and i don't know it was like such a cool idea like beautiful and like seaweed i started getting obsessed with seaweed and then At the same time, I got this place. I, I bought a little piece of land with some savings I had. Uh, so I, I started like, getting excited about what can I do here? You know, I don't want to just go there to have like a vacation house. I want to like think about stuff that I can do in the coast and get involved with the local communities. And how big know, is so the land? What a state? Like, uh it's like uh, a thousand acres. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, just a couple the Amazon of
2: rainforest. You heard of it?
1: <laughs> exactly. No,
2: it's just it's just a couple. This is of in acres. Chile.
1: This is in Chile, in the central southern coast too. It's like five hours away from Santiago. In a beautiful place called copquegura and yeah, it's just a couple of acres. I share it with a friend, and I have like a tiny cabin there, and so. Those uh, little events uh, start leading me to the the ocean, the coast, and like what's uh, like I felt I wanted to get into this discipline, almost to have an excuse to be always close to the ocean. You know, I think that that was one of the things that called my attention, and then I started discovering all this beauty about it. You know, the 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 beauty of like fisheries, small scale fisheries, all the culture associated with that, all the traditions. And all the identities uh, developed around living in the coast coast and depending upon its resources and ecosystems. So, yeah, that's more or less the, the beginning of it.
0: That's pretty cool, man. Can you talk a little bit about some of the projects you've worked on? yeah for sure so aside from seaweed
1: (laughs) yeah actually that's that's a bummer because i have never actually worked with with seaweed like directly it's still like a pendant um project that i think is gonna happen at some point in my life for sure but it's still like waiting i'm like cultivating it the idea but yeah when i i first started just like reaching out to random people that i i found in chile that were working in this coastal marine things and and especially from the social science point of view, which was my, as I said before, my original discipline. So I ran into like this NGO called Costa Humboldt in Chile that I work with indigenous communities in the south. And they uh helped these communities to like develop management plans and marine spatial planning for their areas, which is this was this was born out of a, a law that it's called like um, marine and coastal areas for indigenous people that's more or less a translation these are
0: like descendants of like the inca empire
1: or- uh well not not directly i mean oh um no not really there there are like several uh, indigenous cultures in chile one of the the biggest one it's called the mapuche and the the mapuche people from the, uh, the coast are, are called Laf- lafkenche uh, so we work with Lafkenche communities, which are, yeah, this indigenous Mapuche um, that live in the coast for like hundreds of years. Of course, way before like the Spanish arrived and like start started basically just like killing raping, and, and stealing. and During then, the whole colonization. Exactly. Bandwagon. And then nowadays you see like, this is a subtle colonization process, but we have uh, the, the, the Western has actually imposed all of their worldviews like even upon the way of managing the, the areas and resources so this legal tool that came up like in 2008 or something like that helps the indigenous communities to like kind of recover their traditional areas and their way their their management uh, traditional management tools and ways of doing things and like you know honoring the ocean and like leading to to it and all the rituals associated with it so yeah, we worked with that uh, for a few years. That was a really cool experience to like start because it mixed perfectly in a very balanced way, like very so- like deep so- social issues with environmental issues, especially in the coast. So yeah, that was the first. And then I collaborated in some other little like freelance Projects. i started getting more involved with uh the kind of ecosystem of ngos and stuff like academia in chile and then i applied to brand the brand school when i met you guys so and then i yeah i that's part of your I, life
3: I, our <laughs> lives are changed forever <laughs> yeah
1: no i started yeah i actually started well 20 2016 like getting involved like for real in this uh subjects and then brand school for like two years i worked with uh, global fishing watch which is a really cool global ngo that works uh, promoting transparency in fisheries through like technology like tracking technologies spe- specifically like satellite based but others as well wait so, so
2: before before you move on that project you worked on was super fascinating can you just give us like a little bit of insight about like you know how illegal fishing gets branded as like the bad guy, but really there's like a lot more nuance to it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. No, that project was really great. We were trying to to find out what were, like, the incentives um, that you could put uh, in place to make uh, small-scale fishers adopt these technologies, these tracking technologies, like, install them in their vessels and, like, be part of It's this not program. legally
0: required? Like, you don't have to be on the
1: So it's not, yeah, no, it's not legally unless your boat is, like, over a certain uh, length and then certain capacity, like, fishing capacity and, like, hmm. you know, like, but those are like international regulations. It's hard to enforce, but yeah, most of them use them because it's like a way to avoid collisions too. It's called like AIS, Automatic Identification System. Hmm. And there's another one called like a Vessel Monitoring System, which is like more at the national level. Uh, so those two systems are the main ones that Global Fishing uses to feed into its uh, platform, which is really cool. You can look it up. It's globalfishingwatch.org. But now they want to include like the small-scale fishing vessels, which account for like half of the global capture uh, of, in fisheries in general, you know, for food consumption. So it's massive and it's like pretty invisible because very few of these small-scale vessels use tracking technology. So yeah, we did this research. We like, were asking fishers in Indonesia and Mexico. We did like a choice experiment survey. And we came up with this paper that uh, I'm glad to say that it was recently accepted in a really uh, cool journal. yeah, Yeah.
0: baby. Called Juan's Notebook? (laughs) (laughs) The
1: Chronicles of Juan Silva. (laughs) uh, It's called Ocean and Coastal Management. And it's going to, I guess it's going to be published really soon because it was accepted with like super minor revisions. Oh, cool. But yeah, that was like a really cool project. And I'm glad it, it reached this point. But, yeah, I mean, Sandro, you were mentioning, like, something about illegal fishing that I didn't address now. what, what was Yeah, that?
2: so I, I guess, well, I guess you talked about, like, small-scale fisheries. I'm not, in t- like, I don't know the exact definition of that, but I was more asking, and maybe this is something BR did more than what your group did, but, um, like, how, you know, illegal fishing and, like, people that maybe don't have the right permits to go out and, and catch a certain amount of fish, they often get branded or, like, labeled as, like, you know like committing crimes and like stuff mm-hmm. like that where really it's like it's just a matter of circumstance and it's really like the system is set up in a way that it's like you know they're set up to fail and it's not really fair and it's like not beneficial to anyone yeah
1: yeah i think that's a really interesting discussion that it's a big big like uh, mistake in addressing illegal fishing. just like labeling as you said like labeling all of them as criminals and like not really understanding the reasons of non-compliance with rules. You know, I think it's much more complex than just like oh, he's a bad guy. You know, that's so like limited. I feel so
0: no, dude. The world is bad guys and good guys. Exactly. That's how it...
1: Yeah, no, it's I, I actually like a lot of people think like that. Yeah, uh, and like they say illegal like, fishers, they should all uh, go to jail. You know but when someone's yeah.
0: saying illegal fisher, they're saying someone that doesn't have like permits from the like. a, Authorities exactly. Being. And yeah. sometimes
1: those permits like don't even exist or they don't have more access to and, and they but they've been fishing there forever and they live there and it's like the, the ones that have the permits are fishers from other places so like it's super complex and you can like look into the literature about this and there's like so many I have a, a really good friend called Rodrigo Ollanedel who has done like a lot of research and like non-compliance and then you can understand like the complexity really of like what's going on behind non-compliance, like what does it mean to be legal and like, what are like really efficient ways of addressing this versus just like criminalizing them and like fighting them with, you know, penalties. And like, I don't know, I feel there's like uh, more, more evolved approaches from like psychology and like soci- sociology and everything to address this, this issue and i feel yeah like uh transparency is one of them and i feel going back to global fishing watch i think that's one of the things they're trying to do and this research we did kind of contributes contributes to this like understanding of the human dimension of of these environmental problems you know
2: yeah and and then also illegal fishermen do not want tracking devices on their vessels right (laughs) for obvious reasons yeah
1: yeah no of course of course but I feel like, well, one of the things we talk about in the paper is like, obviously you will not go to these fishers and like ask them just to put this because like, what's their incentive, you know? So uh, we were like thinking of what kind of incentives, for example, build like an SOS functionality into the device or like allowing them to like actually own the data they produce. And obviously this might not be enough for an illegal fisher, of course, but then, what other kinds of incentives can you like explore, like including them in a, in a in a program or like even like allowing them to like access a permit. This could be done like more at the local government level or regional or whatever, you know, like just um, trying to increase compliance and, and transparency with like the right incentives, like even, well, you could think like immediately like monetary incentives, but it's not as simple as that either, you know, but, Okay, yeah, yeah. Can I hit you with
0: a hypothetical.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, so let's say there's this town, you know, uh, I'm, I've, I've not been south of Santiago ever, but uh, there's a town in southern Chile, it's full of largely like uh, indigenous groups that have lived there forever. And uh, it's clear that like it's getting bought up slowly by people that are looking to build vacation homes, it's going to be more on a popular tourist route as Patagonia and you know a lot of the Chilean coastline grows in popularity, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world and you are the the new mayor of this town and you have to create a policy <laughs> like well, you have to create policies that will try to help this place thrive in the most ideal way possible what do you focus on and what do you do
1: in a thriving coastal place that is growing tourism and like i, mean, let's, what, I don't know it's
0: thriving there. it's a it's a community where the indigenous people they are largely relying on the ocean for their livelihood and the land is slowly being bought up by outsiders who want to make it into mm. vacation homes and um, like yeah. kind of a tourist area
1: Damn, I feel like, yeah, if I were the major, I would try to like immediately uh adjust the regulation, like the use of the land in terms of like the needs of uh, of the uh, of the majority of the of that town, like on and, and considering like also like indigenous communities, of course. And like I just feel like every every kind of process like this requires like a lot of pre uh, participation from like all potential stakeholders involved in this, you know, I feel like it's so easy and it's happening so much that large amounts of money, it's what rules. And I think it's very difficult. And I don't want to sound like anti like development or like anti entrepreneurship. You know, I feel like there could be some projects that dialogue well with the local needs, but yeah, I don't know. Like I feel Hawaii. Like you, you see like th- those type of developments. I feel I haven't been there, but from what I've like heard or read or seen or talked with people, it feels like such a. Uh, um,
0: the locals are kind of overrun. Like there's there's no space for them anymore. Exactly. So. And
1: there were like I don't know. Maybe I'm just talking like what I don't know about. But sometimes they're just hired by this like massive you know resorts or stuff, and they're they're like just the employees. I don't know. It feels like. Uh, stuff like that could happen in this little town no <laughs> I, think a, I think that's i think that's
0: the story in most towns you know like yeah it's like they they the money comes in and then it seems like that kind of writes the story of history as people whoever has the money makes the rules and i don't know how you fight yeah. that or how you govern to correct I think it's the yeah.
2: same story in like a lot of like the caribbean islands too absolutely he's in he's california
3: like, yeah you yeah. get like richer man.
2: you have to get richer than everyone else and then you dictate what happens exactly really yeah. the american dream you know get <laughs> but as
1: one is with one is mayor Take we can overcome this problem <laughs> yeah no if i made your mayor and a millionaire that would be easier
0: you can't before. be no one trusts <laughs> trust a millionaire you cannot be the yeah, so no, maybe that's...
2: you're uh a mayor with 100k put it in bitcoin and in five years you save the planet exactly Just a <laughs> of, well, and, and you if said you own there's land. the blueprint yeah, yeah no, you, gotta Juan, you said
3: in... you own a couple acres, which in five or ten years, if this is like becoming touristy, might be worth like a ton of money. So maybe you will be a millionaire.
1: No, I yeah, I don't want to like I already um, sold like one third to a friend uh, <laughs> of that place. So I just have like a little bit less and That's I don't awesome. think I want to sell it. I, I mean, it's uh, I know it's going to go up in price for sure. I think it's like tripled already since I bought it or, or even more. It's like kind of crazy how prices are increasing in, in some parts of the coast of Chile and that hypothetical little situation, it's actually happening like in many places. So I guess th- those majors have like better ideas than I I get, but it's Mine, like, it's, like d- super generic, you know, it's just like, oh yeah, let's make everyone participate. But actually, yeah, like stop le- like the development until there's like a consensus. So what kind of development does that commune or that region or, you know, one like we we gotta like talk more, I think, like and include everyone in the process. Which mm-hmm. kind of sounds like idealistic, but it's actually something that it's really urgent to do. Yeah, because then like the projects like fail because of that too. Like they cause like conflict, and that's also like they lose money at the end. You know, like I don't know, involving
3: everyone and in- being inclusive of everyone. That sounds like socialism.
2: That's so un-American.
3: <laughs> we can't have that.
0: Yeah
1: yeah no, i know i mean yeah it does sound like that and it is <laughs> kind of
0: you can't be the next pinochet <laughs>
1: okay <laughs> no but but yeah i mean that's that's the way to go i feel like um just promoting arenas for 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 discussing this type of projects and because at the end like people are gonna oppose any anyway if the project is like like not in, uh, not synchronized with what people want, they will like destroy, you know, like, I don't know, in Kof Kekura, there was this salmon industry wanted to install some farms. And I know it's different from a hotel, but still they were like offshore, you know, it, it, the according to the company, it didn't really affect, but people were like, dude, this is not what we want. And they protested and the, the projects failed at the end. So nope. they lost like a bunch of money just because they didn't do their like due, due diligence which would have been like, okay, don't do this in the first place, you know, or like something (laughs) else. But yeah, like focusing on on somewhere else or like, I don't know, just don't do it. Invest in something else. Like there's so many other things, cool stuff that you can invest in. Yeah, I mean.
2: Well, can I ask about that? So something that is coming up a lot and there's a lot of money going towards now is aquaculture. So I feel like I've heard so much about aquaculture, but I haven't retained a lot of that information. <laughs> what's like mm-hmm. what's your take on aquaculture like what's the role of aquaculture in society and in creating a sustainable like future for the ocean
1: Yeah I think I think if you like if you watch any of the uh figures and like statistics on where is the seafood coming from and where is it going to come from in the next few years there's like a, an obvious trend towards aquaculture versus like wild extractive commercial fisheries. It's, um, it's a pretty uh, clear trend. And I feel that's, um, that's a tremendous opportunity. And that obviously a very huge challenge on how you manage aquaculture in a way that it's safe and reliable and sustainable. But it's like, uh, I, I feel it's one of the biggest solutions to food security in the in the world, which is obviously like a massive problem we're facing even today. So, yeah, I feel aquaculture is such an important avenue that we should all be, like, listening to. And also, but yeah, like, what kind of aquaculture, it's a good question, too, because... Do you eat farm salmon? Depending on where it's coming from. I don't don't eat like Chilean farm salmon anymore. No, I always... Because you've
0: seen the aquaculture?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, well... In Chile, it's it has like a long long story of like super dirty practices and like it's 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 kind of yeah it's really bad. So I stopped I stopped eating actually like when when these projects in Copquegura started, I became part of this moment movement called Todos Somos Kokegura. We we are all Kopkegura.
0: Okay. So a man of the people.
1: Yeah, so it was like a massive movement that tried to stop this uh, salmon and then everybody stopped eating like they in the town they stopped selling farm salmon and recently there was like a Monterey seafood watch the Monterey Aquarium Seafood Watch like issued like a report talking about how dirty was like Chilean salmon like Mm -hmm. farm so I feel that's a really good example of a bad industry in aquaculture in the aquaculture realm you know which should be like regulated and even like yeah, I feel it should be like restricted and like reduced and hopefully eliminated in many parts. I am not saying like remove them all. Maybe, maybe I'm saying that a little bit, but. I think more time, <laughs> you're saying it needs to be more tightly regulated.
0: Like we need to say like the antibiotics we're putting in to just yeah, so satisfy these for, kind of crazy yeah, operations. Way too
1: many and like way too many diseases being hidden, and like way too many salmons per farm, uh, way too, too many farms per like square kilometer in in ecosystem that don't allow like they're like exceeding the carrying capacity of these ecosystems by far. And they're like acquiring new leases in pristine areas of like the extreme south of Chile, you know, in in, uh, actually parts that are like traditional indigenous marine areas, this time, like not only Lafquanche, but also Selknam um, and other uh, indigenous, First Nations of Chile. So it's a terrible problem. And I could go on like ranting about <laughs> salmon aquaculture, but like to go back to your question, I feel we, should, we shouldn't we should demonize aquaculture because of like uh, this terrible experience. On the contrary, we should like try to improve.
0: Sure. You You're know. saying it is a solution. I just feel like there's always this stigma around yeah. a lot of it. Like-
1: exactly. Yeah. There's so many like ways of doing aquaculture that I feel and this is not the one for sure. And on the contrary, I feel seaweed or integrated. The one the example I was setting before, like integrated multi-trophic alcohol to, you know, like just bring in a, a bunch of different species that are, that actually interact in nature for real, you know, like have like synergies and symbiotic relations and stuff could work really well. I think we're still, um, a little far from developing the optimal ecosystems, but I feel as we, as we stand with this like, institutional and technological inertia of farm salmon, for example, just like that single species, it's gonna be kind of hard to, to progress on that.
3: This seems very similar to different like agricultural practices where monoculture, you know, if you grow like fields, we talked about this before, but like fields and fields of one crop, that's like pretty horrible for (laughs) the environment, for the climate, for the people who live nearby, for the soil, on like on every front basically, besides making money.
1: Absolutely. Whereas if you grow
3: like, you know, regenerative agriculture or regenerative practices where you do a lot of like crop rotations and, you know, cover cropping, things like that, you can have kind of like trees growing fruits and then maybe have some like ground-based legumes and things like that kind of like mimicking a natural ecosystem, that's like a whole lot better the soil stays healthier there's actually fewer greenhouse gas emissions so on and so forth so this seems like very similar like we're kind of like reinvent the wheel here but really we could just mimic what's going on in nature like with farms and even with like aquacultures that exactly can be a lot better
1: exactly biodiversity increases resilience and all these things we learn in school you know it's like it applies Mm -hmm. to every ecosystem so we should keep that in mind Juan let
2: me let me uh bring up This really cool article that Karan found a couple weeks ago. It actually came out like earlier this year. It's from Wildlife Conservation Society. Basically, they found that putting green LED lights on fishing nets has reduced bycatch by an enormous amount. And it's like, yeah, it's super cool. what, What about the lights helps them reduce bycatch? I'm not exactly sure. It just says that illuminating gill nets with LED lights is an effective tool to reduce bycatch of sea turtles, sharks, rays, all sorts of species. And I mean, I don't know why they decided to try it, but clearly there's <laughs> some results there. Um, and, but it's really cool because it's, it's a rare example of something where both the ecosystem and commercial fishing like benefits, like it's a win-win for everyone, right? Like I feel like usually we're at odds with each other, like commercial fishing and like ecosystems and like the environmental people, um, the environmental world. But this is like one of those crazy, just like examples where it's just awesome. It's <laughs> yeah, like...
1: <laughs> no, that's a great, I'm going to look into it. I, I haven't heard about it, but certainly like I feel technology is going to help a lot in finding solutions that I, as you say, it's not like, okay, let's just stop fishing, you know, like yeah. those kind of solutions are also like non-sustainable because people actually depend on fishing and. But yeah, no. I'm gonna look into that. Send me, send, send it over, please. Just share it.
2: Yeah, I think I have the same. But yeah, just just search up like green LED light reducing bycatch. Like it pops up. It's all over now. Like Science Daily, like everyone's picking it up. It's cool, cool new thing that people should know
1: about. Absolutely. Nice. Yeah, look it up, guys. <laughs> it's gonna wow, what send. Are, what are yep, your good.
2: ambitions? You trying to you trying to become like king of the sea?
0: What's Playboy the of the Western world. That's what he's. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That that I feel comfortable with that little title, but <laughs> um, yeah, no. I, as I said before, like I'm I'm gonna go into this uh this really cool project that I designed, like I designed by my own with the help of some really great collaborators in Chile. I'm really excited about that because it deals with like obviously a coastal bird conservation, but also with like livelihoods and the well-being of uh, local communities and like promoting. Uh, local tourism and like environmental education, like citizen science for like uh, bird monitoring and like habitat monitoring. We're going to do some like water quality monitoring as well. We're going to like build capacities with like local governments and and local fishermen. And there's so many like components that I've been wanting to work with uh, by my own, like with this really cool group of uh, organizations and people that I reached out and they were very excited and I have the funding so I'm so I'm like really stoked by this uh upcoming project and yeah that said like I'm very interested in like this project helping me like become a more like kind of holistic uh professional you know that can draw upon like many disciplines and like tools and bridging you know organizations and like also acting like I feel like kind of my vocation in a way it's um building bridges between like science and policy and like local communities, you know, and just like, I feel that's, that's kind of my, my long-term goal. And also, yeah, just like highlighting the environment, uh, the education component of every project, the learning and like also like working with kids. I feel that's something that I want to start focusing more because yeah, it sounds like it could sound like a common place, but a cliche, but they're going to be the people for, uh, for tomorrow's world so i think was it hitler that said he who controls the youth controls the future sorry not
0: that not that hitler was right about anything but yeah <laughs>
1: no but but yeah i mean education seems like a really interesting like, even teaching i don't know if i'm ready to teach i want to be ready i don't know when is the time for that uh but yeah that that's i don't know if that responds to your question my dear friend
2: that was good that was good Juan like Silva, man of the people. Yeah. <laughs> Thank
1: you. Wait,
3: wait, quick quick question. I know Chile recently had started to get political, but you guys recently had an election, like a presidential election. Yeah, no, that's like the
1: <laughs> far
3: the far, like the progressive, I guess, socialist quote unquote candidate one. Could you yeah give us a quick little uh blur about that? Do you think this is positive in our like environmental or like ocean conservation
1: space? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you never know, right? But at least compared with the other candidate, which I'm not even gonna like refer to, uh, which is like a far right, like (laughs) kind of climate denier, but like hidden. Our guy. (laughs) Yeah, like hiding that he doesn't believe in climate change, but he actually doesn't, you know, like from what he's been talking like all these years. And on the contrary, like Boric, uh, which is the uh, elect president, he. Uh, puts this issue in the top of his agenda like uh, among many others i think he's like a really ambitious guy and i think that's good and many people are like doubt him because of that it's like oh he's promising a lot of stuff but i think i i feel like why not you know like there's so many incredible organizations and people in chile and, like so many um so much like will to make transformations and deep, deep transformations that i feel it's such a good news that he was elected. I was like almost crying of happiness when this happened. Like all of my friends and like family, well, not all of them. There were a few that I had <laughs> every like, family's like always, that. as always. Yeah. <laughs> had a few fights and stuff because yeah, anyway. Uh yeah, but yeah, to your question, I feel it's a great news for the environment, a great news for like f- uh fighting climate change and like yeah, like uh, addressing so many other issues of like you know, inequality and like access to like basic rights and stuff. So yeah, no, I love this topic. So I'm glad you brought it up.
3: And as always, we, we need good news in our <laughs> environmental field. So, Absolutely. you know, yeah, no, this is we'll, really we'll take it. Yeah, We're good news
2: guys. Are you kidding? Yeah. Me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <I like laughs> you know, sometimes. Yeah. We try to
1: do. Yeah. Well, We're awesome. going give it up.
0: Awesome. Well, One, energy. Thank, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Um, really appreciate it, and um, hope that you're able to go pursue your dreams and make the Chilean coastline a more successful example of how humanity can interact with nature.
1: We we'll, we'll do our best. We
0: don't need another Orange County, that, you know, houses people <laughs> like Sandra
2: well, or Santa Barbara. <laughs> hey, hey, Santa Barbara
0: did a better job. But... Yeah, can we come
3: through yeah. visit? Visit on your little plot of land, dude. I'm yeah, going in November, County. man. Um, you guys so should come. Yeah, where well, you're going? Yeah. Oh, oh I'm, I'm coming. coming. I'm, coming. Yeah. I'm going for Thanksgiving.
2: We're record yeah. an episode down there. Yeah. Please, there please. It would be come. an episode of the sounds of nature.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can. Yeah, we can record the next uh episode there. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool.
2: I'm into it. Excellent. My Bring friend. my waterproof <laughs> microphone. <laughs>
1: sure. It's gonna be awesome. Hell yeah! All right, man. Next one. Thanks for coming
2: on. Have a great night. Yeah. Stay Thank sassy. You.
1: Thank you so much. Stay sassy. <laughs>
3: Hey everyone, this is Karen. Thanks for tuning in. We do this show because we genuinely care about these environmental issues and climate change and want to do our part to increase public understanding of them. If you like the pod and want to help us out, feel free to leave a rating and hit subscribe on whatever platform you're using, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and so on. Feel free to share the podcast out on your social media and even just tell your friends, family, co-workers, whoever you think would really enjoy this kind of content or just really needs to hear this kind of content. Thanks, y'all. Stay sassy.